Welcome to Make It Kick-Ass, where we help leaders of growing communities bring their people together with purpose and lasting impact. Join us as we explore how to make events engaging, exciting, energizing, and profitable so that you can build a healthy, sustainable community. I'm Isaac Watson, founder and lead strategist at Kick-Ass Conferences. And I'm Nessa Jimenez, operations manager at Kick-Ass Conferences. Now let's make it kick-ass together. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us again. We are uh, back with a little bit of a follow-up conversation from the episode just prior to this where we interviewed Gary Hirsch from On Your Feet about how improvisational techniques are, can be incorporated into events. Um, that had, if you haven't listened to it, please go back and listen to it first because this conversation isn't going to make all that much sense. Um, but I'm here with Nessa and we just had a couple things that we wanted to revisit from that conversation. Lots of ideas, uh, lots of things to relate to the work that we do. So Nessa, like what, what stood out for you? Like what was one of the biggest things that you heard Gary say that you were like, oh yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I think I think what what really stood out for me was when he started talking about the objectives phase uh, of planning. You asked the question. I think it was you asked the question about like what mistakes do you find that people make, and he really brought up a great point, which is something that we're always talking about of like people come to him already with an idea of what's going to happen, but they haven't really thought about why they made all these decisions or what, mm -hmm. what it actually means to do these things. Um, yeah. And I, I was like, yeah, that like I totally connected with that because I feel like this is a conversation that we, again, we're always having on the podcast or like with clients of like, okay, take a step back and let's think about why you are making these decisions, right? Mm -hmm. What's the, the point behind this? Yeah, that um, keeping that, especially if, you, if you're like making decisions up front uh, to like set the framework for what the event's going to be or what your vision is, it can be really easy to let stuff get in the way of that vision without realizing it, right? You're like, oh, wait, what about this? Well, right. did you check that against the stuff that you already decided? Or uh, in his case and what he was talking about with the, with the objectives for the attendees, uh, making sure that you're thinking first of the people you're doing this for before you sit there and define all of the logistical details of things. Right. Because, and we've seen this, people do this where the event isn't actually about the audience. The event is, is about the executive who told the planner what mm -hmm. to do, right? It's actually yep. an event for them. And then they run, wonder why they, they didn't achieve their, objectives there was no good return on investment and it's because yeah you didn't think about the actual attendee the person that's gonna uh, experience this event exactly um so one thing that stood out for me um that that really echoes with a conversation i had uh, i was interviewed on a podcast called access ideas recently um and I was thinking about like the difference between in-person events and the online events today. Uh, and this, this whole thing started because the host of access ideas, uh, Yana Stam, she was asking me, uh, well, 
she wasn't asking me. I was going on and on about how great in-person events are, how there's this like special something and whatnot. And she said, well, now hold up. <laughs> Online events still have their place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that I had to examine that a little bit. And Gary touched on this a little bit with what he was talking about with uh, an online chat and like how a group can share stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about, um, yes, in-person events, you can feel energy. There's like, it's this multi-sensory experience. You can pick up on little snippets of conversation from other groups. Um, but when it comes to consuming the content of the program, that's a very solo, very individual thing, right? Mm-hmm. The social contract when you enter a meeting space and the program begins is that you are quiet. You are listening to the presenter. It's very top down. Uh, and outside of maybe some, you know, live tweeting or whatever the new version of tweeting is now that Twitter's um, <laughs> is, um, is is that you uh, th- that it is very much an individual thing and I think one of the beautiful things about online events that still holds true is the ability for a group to share an experience a little more synchronously right so you if, if you have a live chat with a live video going on people can comment and add their own experiences and share in these moments in, in this kind of real time thing, you don't have to wait until a break to then go and talk to somebody else about it. And then you're only talking with, you know, the person immediate to you. So it allows for this like much more social experience from a consumption standpoint, which I think is really valid and really interesting. And I don't know that there's a ton of, uh, parallel in the live event world. Uh, I mean, I'm always going to be an advocate for online events because I get so frustrated where I'm like, don't blame the tools for like your Mm. lack of imagination because good online events have been happening for a very long time, right? It's just that I feel like the overall quote unquote events industry or conference industry has not caught up. Because for as long as there has been like any sort of live streaming, there have been live events and there are huge communities behind them and they're super profitable mm-hmm. and, and people feel super connected. Like, you know, this about me. I'm, I, I follow Twitch streamers and I'm like part of fandoms on Twitch streams. And I know I, there's people I've met. I've known them for years and I consider them friends and we hang out like when the streams are happening. And it's a super I feel connected to those people because it's super engaging and super um fun and in the moment but it works because of the people behind it and the work that's put in to make it work whereas i i i think it's easy in in the business sense for people to be like oh it doesn't work it's not that it doesn't work it's it's they're not they're not willing to put in the humanity the work uh, Uh, the human work Mm -hmm. to make the online event work. So it's just easier for them to say, you know, let's, let's go back to in person and and be done with it. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the human thing. And, and this goes again, back to something that Gary was talking about. He used the acronym ACE, A-C-E, which is acknowledge, connect and explore. Um, what was it that stood out for you about that in relation to how we can be more human with each other? Um, honestly, it's the acknowledge part because 
I feel like we have lost the ability to acknowledge reality, to acknowledge each other, to acknowledge the moment, to acknowledge like context. Um, and we expect people to connect and, and grow and explore with each other without acknowledging the reality of the moments that we're living in, be it COVID, be it uh, political, economic, you know what I mean? Um, so that really stood out to me because it's, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but it's true. Like the, the successful moments, the successful events happen because they take the time to acknowledge the moment that we are in right now mm-hmm. and the context mm-hmm. with that. How, if, if somebody's looking to, to better develop their skill around acknowledging others and developing a more human approach to this do you have any thoughts on how they might approach that or some some ways in which you can acknowledge other people oh well we could just we could talk about this all day because there, there's so much <laughs> three more episodes go yeah. <laughs> because it all it all comes back to though um you have to be fearless if if you're not willing to acknowledge the moment because you're worried about uh, excluding someone because you're worried about um someone's gonna get mad because i mentioned mm-hmm. like um I don't, like the scotus decisions you know I, sure. I think about like with you know affirmative action and all that stuff like if you're having an event in the in the realm of education with that just having happened like how are you not acknowledging that you know what i mean but yeah. there's plenty of people who didn't because it's the fear of I don't want to I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want right. to make drama. Right. So there's a fearlessness that you have to have and a clarity of these are the people that I'm trying to bring together. And this is what I'm trying to achieve, regardless of, um, I, I don't know, street cred. Maybe I think that's that's mm. that's kind of the issue. What yeah. do you think about that? Do, well, do you think it? um I think that's absolutely valid. Uh, And I know that some people will go so far as to acknowledge to the point of performative behavior, right? Like I think that there's a risk of performative acknowledgement, right? Where um, you are saying it to say it without really meaning it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we toe that line? Well, that's that's where you get to that second part of the acronym, right? Of acknowledge and then connect. Like you can't yeah. just acknowledge and then be like, ah, oh, that didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> like it has to be. It has to be part of the conversation, a part of what you're doing. Um, and and it's super obvious when people do this, when they do like these types of acknowledgments at the beginning of an event, and then like mm-hmm. two hours later they have a panel that is so tone deaf and so not acknowledging mm-hmm. the moment. That you're like, yeah, yeah, this is great, right? And and audiences see through that. Um, but it, it it comes back to this issue we're having of not seeing humanity anymore. Like we're we're becoming there's so much anti-human mm-hmm. thing in the air. Like I, I, it it concerns me a lot, to be honest. How I how I see the conversations that we're having. Constantly step away from, uh, uh, yeah, we're people, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, we're people, um, not machines and not, um, not generations, not a uh, target audience. You know what I mean? Like we're just turning into statistics instead of people. And, and that's where, that's where we get into trouble. 
Yeah. I had the unfortunate experience or unfortunate, um, opportunity, I guess, to experience that kind of, um, faux pas in real time last year when I attended event that an event that had, had done ostensibly a fantastic job, uh, curating a diverse lineup of lots of perspectives that were tackling some really great issues, uh, at an inspirational conference and, someone in their leadership made a last minute decision to insert a an interview with a political candidate a politically independent candidate that was actually who had come from uh conservative roots I remember um this. and and uh a candidate whose uh record on uh, gun laws and, and, uh, their stance on protecting the second amendment was in direct conflict with not only some of the content that was curated to be on stage up there, but also was completely tone deaf because of a shooting mass shooting that had happened just days prior Mm -hmm. that was still resonating within the community. And it just, it, spiraled and it just, it went out of control and it completely destroyed the entire experience. And that to me right there is like, you cannot say that you are acknowledging the people in the room and then make a decision like that. Right. And what do you, what do you, why do you think that happens? Like why, why drop the ball? Cause I I do remember that it was a super last minute choice. Like Mm -hmm. what, why, how did they get to that point where they dropped the ball? Like right at the goal, you know? Um, I, I think it was a, I think it was largely a case of ego and arrogance that was not questioned. I think it was a leadership team who just felt like they had the power to do that and didn't really have the foresight to think about why, again, going back to what you were saying, like, why are you doing this? And how does this impact the rest of what you're creating? They didn't sit there and ask those questions. They instead got wrapped up in kind of the sensationalism of it and just went forward and it bombed, completely bombed. And and so going back to this idea of uh, feeling more human with each other, which Gary, mm-hmm. I think, addressed really well. And I think through improv it's a great way of doing that like i really like the activity he did with us where that really quick like think of things you like um and something i noticed there was that in that type of exercise he didn't allow space or time to overthink yes right and i think that's that's why for me it's successful because uh-huh. you're getting people to do something, but you're not giving them enough time to think, oh, this is awkward or whatever it is that we get up into our own heads. Uh, I want to see your thoughts about doing that. Activity. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will fully admit that I tried to cram as much overthinking as I possibly could into <laughs> that tiny space he provided us. Am I, am I picking the right favorite things? What am I, what am I going to choose? Um, <laughs> so, uh, oh, he said food. I'm going to pick my favorite food. That'll work. Um, so that's my brain. Um, but I think... I think, uh, for me, this goes with this, this notion of creating space for the unknown. And what I love about that, even though like, it's so funny that he chose to do that with us because I, I literally did feel the same 
like fear and dread when he was like, oh, we're going to do it real quick. I was like, oh, shit. But he acknowledged um, it like, at the beginning. <laughs> but he acknowledged it. And, and, but, and here to me is the magic of it is that he, he acknowledged it. We connected and we explored that together. Um, he was facilitating it, but he was there with us, right? right? Trying to, trying to figure out, he gave us an example. He led us along the way, but something t to me, and this is similar to other experiences that I've had is that there's, when you can add a little bit of structure around what you're asking mm -hmm. people to do, mm -hmm. apply some cr constraints and nudge people outside of their comfort zones, either through not enough time to overthink or, right. um, you know, using a little healthy peer pressure or FOMO or like you can leverage some of these, uh, motivating factors. You can actually create these really magical moments and open people up to vulnerability. And I think that that's, what's really great about, especially about in-person events, because there's a lot more opportunity to do that. Um, I've had experiences with this in trying to create networking type activities that mm -hmm. are introvert friendly. Um, and what I found is that if you can either turn it into a game or put some constraints around it by doing it as a speed networking thing or right. use a, a a very different kind of online platform that helps encourage conversation or, or whatnot. Like there are many different ways you can do this, but applying just a little bit of structure, pushing people just over the edge of their comfort zone, it gets them to play along in a way that can be really productive, both for them and for the people that they're interacting with. Right. And, and looking at, at what he did. So that activity that he did with us, it is very simple on the surface, right? It, it mm -hmm. was just like a very quick little thing. He didn't have us do anything complicated or take a long time. However, there was work put into creating that activity. And, and there was a reason for each part of it, right? And and there was a, a goal for each part. And, you know, so he's created this moment of unknown that we can have like a special spark, a special thing happening. But mm -hmm. their work goes into doing that. That's not just going to happen uh, because you put us in a room together, right? Like he did right. the work to, to create that space, to push us, but in a way that was comfortable. Um, and I think we have, we need to acknowledge that, that there is work in creating mm -hmm. spontaneous moments. <laughs> well, and to me, there's a difference between s making space for serendipity to happen, mm -hmm. which is this organic connection, which is important. Like I don't, we should not ignore that at all. No, giving, not at all. making people feel safe and, and giving them an opportunity to connect with each other, uh, in a natural way. But there is also that labor to facilitate those connections, to mm -hmm. be more intentional about creating those moments and, um, finding ways to connect people to each other more, uh, mm -hmm. assertively, I guess is a way to put it where, where you were saying, okay, you are going to do this and you are going to do this and hopefully you will meet each other and make a connection. And that to me is, is just as important as making space for serendipity and, and chance encounters. But even even still, like when we talk about serendipity and, and we especially talk about like the 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 conference hallway conversations, that's yes. usually like the, the big example. Um, but even in that moment, 
in the hallway if there's a couple of chairs boom that's work that was put in to create mm, a space yes. where a moment can yes. happen do you know what i'm saying or, yes. or like signage telling me where the snacks are boom like that's work being done to, to kind of like guide me to uh, to an opportunity for spontaneity does that make sense yeah. so even in even in what we're talking about like luck and spontaneity there there is still at some molecular level like something needs to be done by the organizer to make that the thing because a venue in and of itself that doesn't do anything right it's what we're putting in there and doing in there that makes it work absolutely i agree and talking about introverts like (laughs) i'm an introvert i will talk (laughs) if we have a topic but i am never gonna just walk up to a random person and start talking about the weather or you know just other stupid crap like that's just not who i am you know what i mean yeah so for me to have like a networking session work i do need something (laughs) give me something to work with you know (laughs) yeah it's it can be as simple as a as a prompt card on a table or you know we've we've used online tools that that offer up questions as conversation starters like it it i guess that's the thing is like it doesn't take a lot of work to do it well you can put a lot of work into it if you want to and some people create these amazing experiences in doing so um but it doesn't take much you still have to do the work you just have to stop for a second and think <laughs> like that. That's the uh, talking about being anti-human. Like we forget to stop, breathe, mm-hmm. pause and think <laughs> before mm-hmm. moving forward. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, for whatever reason. But um, so lastly, I wanted to touch on something that Gary brought up where, where he referred to this period post COVID. I don't even know if it's post COVID, but he talked about the awkward fade out. And I felt like yes. that was such a that's so accurate to, to this period of time that we're in. Um, and I wanted <laughs> to get your thoughts about um, the effect that that's having, that that we don't have a clear cut like it ended. And you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what were your thoughts on that? That that awkward fade out? Uh, idea? I you say awkward fade out. And of course, I think of like a a so-so DJ that's trying to mix two songs that really don't belong together. And you have that like weird <laughs> lilting moment where the two beats are kind of fighting each other as He's they're transitioning. I, I feel like that's what we're in right now. Right. Um, uh, and I forgot what you actually asked me uh, question wise. No, Cause I think like, <laughs> cause I think that's such a perfect way of expressing that idea of the mm-hmm. awkward fade out. Um, and I think that that is having more of an impact on return to in-person events than people yes. even realize like consciously, like it is absolutely having an effect, but we're not talking about it enough. That That's how I mm-hmm. feel because going into person events and like you can feel it that there there's still this feeling of eh, what what is this right like is this the first song or the second one right so i, I right. want to get your thoughts on that like what well now what then what what yeah what do we do um I, I, there's so many factors at play here and i think this is part of why it is so complicated and why it's so awkward right now um we culturally are tired Mm -hmm. the pandemic exhausted us Mm -hmm. in ways that we never thought could 
be possible. And we're still recovering from that, figuring out um, what our priorities are. I, the pandemic laid bare this like critical line of questioning around what is work? What is my role in it? How am, where is home? Who are my priorities? Like all of this, it's honestly, it is brought about this cultural existential crisis. And I think that events are a, at the forefront of this because they are these quintessentially human experiences. And if we haven't even fully figured out who we are in the world and how we relate to it coming out of what we just experienced, then it's challenging for us to relate to others in the same way. I still find myself meeting up with friends I haven't seen in several years for whatever reason. And the default line of questioning still tends to be like, how did you fare in 2020 yeah, right. and 2021? And, and right. we all have a story behind that. Um, some of us did fine. Some of us didn't, most of us didn't. Um, mm -hmm. and, and yet like, you know, I said it on, on the interview with Gary and I, um, you know, I had this conversation with someone recently when like, we're still talking about it mm -hmm. and I don't know when we're going to stop talking about it. Right. Um, so I think that there's still kind of a reckoning right now where people are being very intentional about what they choose to engage in. They're also being very demanding about what they get out of things. Yes. I think that, uh, our, our shifting priorities around what, you know, what family is, where we find our happiness and our joy is, laying bare these notions that like work travel, for example, like to go attend a conference, like that's still work. It's not the fun that we thought it was. Right. For example. So I just think that there are, there are, there's a lot of figuring it out that we're doing mm -hmm. and as that's happening. And I think it's probably going to happen for another year or two. Um, events are figuring out how to navigate that. Like, what are people actually expecting? How can we create an experience that, that provides good human connections? Are we even still like our, our awareness of self and of, of each other? Like, are we, I don't know. It's just, it's awkward. It's awkward. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. this transition between these two songs is going to go on for a while. Yeah. And I wonder, like, are people looking for the same things now than what they were looking for before? And do they even realize that 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 change has happened? Because I feel... I feel like people are attending events, but they don't feel like they're getting what they were looking for. Mm. And I wonder if it's because we're not looking for those same things. We think we are, right? Mm. <laughs> but there's a there's a need to reanalyze like yeah yeah and i think it's it's really i mean i think one example of this is seeing the resurgence in music tours and shows mm, yes. um festivals and shows are popping off this year yeah. as artists are going back on tour and people are dropping a lot of money 
to travel and to attend these things, to have these like, there are almost like these super extra event moments, right? Like yeah. they just want to feel something again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that, um, I think that that's part of it. I also think of a lot of the things that we uh, talk to attendees of our conferences uh, about as they're getting ready to go to an event, which is setting goals, thinking about who you're trying to meet and why, um, taking time to maybe it's a little journaling. Are there specific things that you are hoping to learn looking through the schedule making sure that you're making space for yourself. All of that is really important pre-work that should be done to, um, to prepare for an event, especially for a conference. Right. And I think, mm -hmm. I think in a lot of ways, people are forgetting to do that kind of stuff. And I think if we can continue to encourage that, they're going to have a better experience because they're going into it with intentions. They're going into it, knowing what they're going to offer. Going back to what Gary was saying. Um, they're going into it being a little more open to certain types of connections over others. And I think that that will help uh, as we continue to navigate this. Thanks for listening to this episode of Make It Kick-Ass. We hope you found it entertaining and helpful. If hosting a community event is on your radar, visit GetEventLab.com to take our free 30-minute training called Community Event Mastery. That's GetEventLab.com or use the link in the show notes. Make It Kick-Ass is hosted by Isaac Watson and Nessa Jimenez. Post-production audio by Chris Nelson at Mittens Media. Our theme song is Feel It by Dojo for Crooks. Make It Kick-Ass is a production of Kick-Ass Conferences, an event strategy and design agency serving leaders of growing communities. Mm -hmm.